This is The 451. I'm Summer Brennan. I'm Jesse Hirsch. And I'm Jonathan Mann. And we are a podcast for the resistance. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah is Saturday. Saturday. I thought tomorrow was Saturday, but it is Saturday. So it is so tedious to talk about technical issues on a podcast, but we just want need to say for a second that we've spent the entire day trying to do this. And we're so thankful to be here right now talking to each other, my friends, make, <laughs> ma- <laughs> making a podcast right now. It just feels like let's do this. Yes, here we are. Here we are. <laughs> we are here. We are uh, ready to to talk about things. We've had a crazy day, folks. Yeah, we've had a we've crazy day. We've gotten a little weird of, in the process. We've it's four p.m. and we've literally been trying to make this episode since ten. But it's okay. We will not speak another word of it to you. No. So, so politics. <laughs> How about those politics? How about them guys? politics going on? Politics are happening. So, uh, the electoral college happened. It did this week. Yep. Yes, and and there were no surprises. No, un- unfortunately, no, there were not. I think that we all kind of had our Powerball excitement going a little bit, like secret. You know, like I'm not yeah. gonna, I'm not gonna give into that. I'm not gonna let that carry me because otherwise I'll be too disappointed when it doesn't go through. But we all were harboring little hopes that there was these electors that were wrestling with their consciences in private and weren't letting the world know about it. But such was not the case. I think, I think God, I think God decided we've had one too many surprises this year mm-hmm. and was just like. Nope, you don't get any more. You've had know. your you've had your 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 yearly quota of surprises. So I, I guess that's sorry. true, but it also feels it feels like that makes it seem like it wasn't a very purposeful um, set of mechanisms that got Donald Trump ele- elected. You know, true. like it's not just like woo surprise. How did no, how yeah. did that happen? <laughs> what happened? That's crazy. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Sorry. Did you email the electors? I did email electors. Somebody sent me a link that said, you know, I don't remember what it said, contact the electors or something like that. And I did it too. In retrospect, I don't know that that was the smartest thing, but I think everyone was just in this state of panic. Like, what do we do? We have to do something. Yeah. And it seemed like, I I don't know. I, I think when something's so obvious to you that it's such a danger, your instinct is just to plead with anyone around you or anyone that might have any power to do something. <laughs> right. And and Jonathan, you went and you looked at some of their Facebook or Twitter pages and you saw that they were like rabidly pro-Trump. So what are the odds, right? Yeah, exactly. And I also, I also felt like, you know, having been someone and actually Summer and I were just talking about this, like any kind of like barrage of attention from the Internet no, if if it is negative or positive or polite or not, whatever, it's just unpleasant yeah. to begin with. So I felt like the the quest to bombard them with with our thoughts, however um, noble, I think was was maybe the wrong. I don't, but but at the same time, I don't know if there was a right way to to convince them. You were saying earlier, like. Maybe if they had the security if, briefing that they yeah that some of them if they had got requested. the briefings like maybe that would have but I don't but, know I mean like that's been kind of cast as partisan politics as well so it's not though know. it's not yeah. no right, right, right. <laughs> national sovereignty and security is not a partisan issue thank um, you Summer you're welcome um, yeah I mean you know it, thinking back perhaps a more effective way if anything was going to be effective would have been. Um, if you were going to get through to someone, maybe it would be to get through to other 
parts of the Republican Party that can advocate for, like a briefing. Or, but I think maybe part of what muddied that whole thing is the fact that um, even aside from the interference, people wanted the, the Hamilton electors, the Hamilton electors, they, <laughs> they, wanted, <laughs> uh, they wanted the electors to reject him, even aside from, uh, you know, revelations that he was, you know, looked like communicating with the Kremlin, according right. to some sources, and um, that, that there was a, a purposeful campaign ordered by Putin himself um, to sway the election in favor of Trump. So even aside from that, people were like, hell no. Yeah, but that kind of muddies the waters, maybe, you know, to, well, to be like, he's a he's a bully and he uses hate speech. Like, if you say things like that, okay, but he's still the person we elected. It's when you start getting to treason territory that you actually have some ground to stand on as far as, like, reversing your electoral Sure. Vote. And the problem is, is because there's so many other things, it's like... You'd think it would strengthen the case, but somehow it doesn't quite for some reason. Like it says, oh, you're just like you close. They it seems like they almost want to close their ears to the stuff about Russia um, because it's coming like on the heels of you know all these other critiques of him about him being boorish or misogynist or right. or racist. So what's the? Are there any more barriers? Like we're less than a month away. Is there any other thing he has to clear? And I don't think the answer is yes, but is there any other thing that that uh, mechanism that could stop him or or are we like are we past the point of no return? Okay, I, think- I read that there is a technically if there were a couple of Congress people who decided that they were just not going to ratify the electoral vote, then right. that could gum up the works, but that would be such uh, yeah. I mean we already it was already a long shot for the electoral college this this seems even farther out there yeah i like it seems like maybe for a normal for a normal candidate there's no more this was the last sort of gate right but right um i but he's not normal <laughs> he's not normal i mean i mean life is crazy right it's just like you were saying jonathan like well he, he's not normal he's not doing normal things i mean that's the, that's like the the He's not divesting. He's he's setting up, you know, open right. corruption. He's there's all these questions about collusion with a hostile foreign government. So, I mean, the normal the normal gates. He's through all of them. The only one that's remaining yeah. is inauguration. But he's not normal. So we'll see what happens with all of that. So Elizabeth Warren was it her that is introducing this bill? The the emolu- How do you say that word? Emoluments. Yeah. The um, what what she said? What you said? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amendment clause. The amendment. The amendment clause. To 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 try to sort of hold him to having to divest from stuff or uh, face impeachment. Now, does that that's not good? But we assume that's not going to get very much traction, right? I mean, I don't know. Let's try to encourage it. I I, <laughs> I hope I hope it does. I I mean, yeah. I, it has a lot of traction on this podcast. I will tell yeah. you that right now. It has so much traction on this podcast. It has a hundred percent traction on the on this particular podcast. But let's use all all of our uh, political power on this podcast to say yes. I think that's a thing. That's a worthy thing to to call your your Congress people about your your senator and tell them that this is something you want them to get get behind. Mm-hmm. So this podcast is something to listen to. I mean, there are plenty of places that you can go to read really horrific uh, news, and it's not like we're going to be upbeat all the time. But we would like to kind of look at some of the um, more hopeful, happy things. Um, 
happy happy is a strong word but (laughs) (laughs) reasons have a dire not dire right it's the holidays yes exactly this is a very special episode um so (laughs) summer uh i just wanted to ask you is there anything this week that has given you uh some hope however however small the glimmer yes um other than the usual kindness of strangers uh which is a real thing that continues which is nice um, I just the little reminders that everyone else sees this as totally unacceptable. Uh, as I was telling you guys earlier, I was in the grocery store um, and I was in line and there was a few magazines by the checkout that had Trump's face on them. And without really meaning to, I just turned them around. I mean, I meant to, but I just didn't think. I just was like, <laughs> oh, get away. And so I turned them around. So he's facing away. And the woman in front of me in line, she was like, oh, thank you for doing that. I wanted to do that. But I, you know, we ended up talking for a couple of minutes. And and um, it was just, again, a reminder that this is totally outside the realm of acceptable and normal for many people. Including random people in the grocery store in New Mexico. That is correct. Which is nice to know, I think. Yeah, the, all this whole like liberal coastal bubble thing is not true, by the no. way. No. Um, I mean, of course, we need to remember that it, this whole thing, like red state, blue state. I don't want to go off on a tangent about this right now, uh, but mm-hmm. it's just there. It's ne- it's never even really true. Even where I grew up in California, there's plenty of Republicans. And there's lots, of, like there's tons of diversity everywhere you go. Yeah, I mean, even in my neighborhood here in uh, Brooklyn, the heart of it all, there was fifteen hundred people who voted at my precinct precinct for trump oh um, my god yeah i mean wow. that's not a, that's not a huge percentage no, um but... i mean and also not to go off on a tangent i live in a neighborhood <laughs> that has a lot of uh, hasidic people and i actually was speaking to, to a representative of the community who said that there is often kind of a conservative block vote um, right amongst mm-hmm. the hasidic community and that's he and that's where he suspects that those votes even though from. trump is not conservative in no, any stretch I know. I know yes we need to keep saying that that's a really good point um so my hope uh this week kind of comes from a strange source that I read this article today and you read it too Jonathan the one in I did yeah it was, yeah. It was in HuffPo we'll put it in the uh the show notes the show notes but it's a, it's a very strange concept the idea was that uh female Trump voters are already feeling betrayed because of how quickly he's going to defund Planned Parenthood um and so mm-hmm. it's it's a strange one because you're like you didn't really see this coming I mean Trump and then you've got Pence right beside him like this didn't <laughs> seem like something he would do Nonetheless, the idea is appealing to me that uh, Trump voters would have their their issues, you know, their their switchover issues where they're just like, hey, wait a minute, you know, like you kind of betrayed us on Carrier or, you know, in any way, the jobs are not coming back um, or you said drain the swamp and you didn't actually drain the swamp at all. I think that that's going to happen more and more over the coming I months. hope so. I, I really hope so. I hope so. Um, so. My one hopeful thing, one hopeful thing that happened to me this week, uh, I, I was I got on my orientation call for the Democratic Socialists of America last night, mm-hmm. um, and I got to hear just like people from all over the country. There's like someone in Austin and people in uh, somewhere in Tallahassee, Florida, and someone in um, North Carolina. There are just people all over the place. Who, and and pretty much to a person when asked like what made you want to start organizing what made you want to start joining this organization the Democratic Socialists of America like everyone said the election like mm-hmm. so this idea that there's this that there's this groundswell I think it's I think it's I think there's really something to that like it's happening you mm-hmm. know 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that that fills me with hope. It really does. The idea that there's just people who have never been involved before who are like us to a certain extent who right. are getting involved. Here's a question for you guys, though, that um, I mean, we, one of our guests that's on today has has somewhat of a dire outlook on, on all of this um, and doesn't really truck with false hope. And I, and I understand that. Right. Like you've got to be pragmatic about the, these things. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of stuff to, to put us in a bad mood. What do you do when it looks like there just really are very few options for turning turning something around? I mean, where, where I... does one find hope? I don't know. I, I, I feel weird that I keep having to defend the concept of hope lately, but I, I do. I um, and for me, it's just a, it's like a gear that you're in or mm-hmm. you're not. And right. it's more about how, I mean, one obviously cannot always choose to be hopeful. Seriously. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last thing you want to do is go to somebody who feels terrible and say, choose to not feel terrible because they can't Buck always up. do that. Buck up and feel hopeful. <laughs> right. Um, but I think that, you know, you, it's it's like people. I don't know. It's like the, all those some good, some bad scientific studies that that say you know your out how your outlook changes your your physical um, being or recovery from disease and that kind of thing. And and mm-hmm. maybe this sounds a little California, but I I think that you don't see clearly when you fall into despair. Oh, absolutely. You, you know. Yeah. And so if you if you have a an outlook that's always looking for ways to improve things or ways to find a way out to help other people to do that, then then I do actually think that it changes the way you see the terrain in front of you mm-hmm. um, and that that's important. I do think, and it's interesting that each of us, each in each of our sort of hopeful things that we're talking about, it's all about other people, right? It's all about you had like somewhere like you had this like nice little moment where it's just like someone you're like, you, I, we, we, I see you and you see me and we are, connecting on this thing however sort of small that 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 moment is mm-hmm. i mean i think that's I, I i guess that's like the 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 greatest source of hope in this this is why we're we doing this podcast right so we just talk to each other and feel like slightly less alone right and like mm-hmm. that's hope the, is people hope, hope is, is exactly people. yeah well, and also i mean people are the tools of an authoritarian state so if people refuse to be those tools we can't have an authoritarian state right and I know that there are lots of people that are on board to be to participate in that. So it's not unfortunately that there's a major shortage. But you know, I'm already hearing about um, you know there's government agencies who are saying you know actually we're not going to give you a list of people that mm-hmm. study support. climate change yeah. exactly or or whatever. And you can imagine down the road what those kinds of requests might might entail. Did, did you see the one today? By the way, the State Department request. I may have um, missed it because I've been it, on a podcast all day. <laughs> yes, it was the State Department, um, and it was anybody who had been uh, active in gender politics or no, seriously. Yes. No. Yes, exactly. No. That had been like actively promoting anyone because you know they were trying to move towards a better, more equal state. So yeah. And was yeah, was this a story right. where they were where they too were refusing, or was this just the first part of the story? Uh, I think it's I think it's the first part of the story. Right. I don't think we've, we don't we've know seen yet that. what they're going to. So do. the first part is they want to know who's working in gender politics, right? So they can send them to the threat assessment center, if we will. Right. Yeah, I mean that's the thing about that. I think I hope people are going to start to realize is that one of the biggest differences between an authoritarian state and a and a regular democracy that maybe has some like flavors of of fascism here and there like any like many countries will have um mm-hmm. but the difference between a real one is that even small 
voices of dissent are not tolerated. Like us. Like us, yes. I love how someone <laughs> tweeted us a picture of the White Rose Society. Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, uplifting. <laughs> Yeah, I, I clutched my chest a little Please bit look at that. the picture of this woman and two men who were murdered by the Nazis for their nonviolent mm-hmm. thing. Anyway, moving on from that. Speaking of such wonderfully uplifting topics, actually, and this is with all seriousness, um, you know, one of my um, favorite people on Twitter, although she scares me because of what she says uh, lately, has been Sarah Kenzier. Um, Woo! Yes, who's kind of been a rock star, especially since the election in terms of her tweeting. Yeah, she she her it's like her all it's like every single thing that she's studied for whatever the last 20 years is like perfectly positioned for mm-hmm. for for our time. Yes, so I'm going to read Sarah's bio now. Dr. Sarah Kenzier is a researcher, writer and expert on authoritarianism, particularly in the states of the former Soviet Union. She is author of the best-selling essay collection, The View from Flyover Country, and has written about politics, the internet, and political mobilization for The New York Times, Foreign Policy, The Atlantic, The Guardian, Politico, and many others. In 2013, Foreign Policy named her one of the 100 people you should be following on Twitter to make sense of global events. Which is absolutely true. Yes, I totally agree. Um, So now we uh, have our interview with Sarah. So here we are on this lovely December day, and Donald Trump is tweeting about nuclear weapons, and we're here to talk about um, authoritarianism. Thank you so much for, for speaking with us today. Oh, thank you very much for having me. You've studied authoritarian regimes, especially in the states of the former Soviet Union. Um, what are some of the parallels that you're seeing from uh, between what you've studied and what you're seeing happen in America right now? Um, You know, there's a lot of this. I wrote a pretty long article called Trump and Bashi. Uh, for the diplomat back in March, which laid out some of these parallels. Um, That was a play on on Turkmenbashi, who was the dictator of Turkmenistan. Um, That was during Trump's Mm -hmm. run, you know, where the primary threat seemed to be um, demagoguery and, you know, a sort of cult of personality based on white nationalism in Trump's case on, you know, false populist promises, manipulation of media, uh, propaganda, um, scapegoating of minorities and threatening to use force against them. Um, You know, you see all those things throughout Central Asia, Um, you know, and then as as he's actually come into power, you know, the parallels are more direct. Um, It's no longer theoretical. You know, he is tied to Mm. Putin, you know, quite closely, as we've seen. He's also had a number of relationships, um, you know, with countries like Azerbaijan, which also follow this uh, kleptocratic authoritarian model where, you know, the the leader is, um, you know, has a sort of cult of of personality around him and uh, basic civil liberties are violated on a routine basis. And, you know, I think Trump, uh, you know, sees himself in these leaders. I think he actually envies them. Um, You know, they have a level of wealth and power that he's never been able to obtain in the United States. Uh, So, you know, I think that he likes these, you know, Mm -hmm. various 
former Soviet, uh, you know, Central Asian dictators, or in you know the case of Putin, a Russian dictator. Uh, not despite um, the fact that they're dictators, but because of that, I think that's his allure, um, and I think that that's the kind of model that he'll he'll try to bring to the United mm. States. Is there anything that is sort of the most alarming thing to you right now about what he's doing? Or <laughs> if you'd asked me that a couple hours ago, I may have had a different answer. I mean, he's currently uh, tweeting <laughs> yeah. in parallel with Putin about, um, you know, using nuclear weapons and viewing that as a positive thing. Um, in the past, he's, he has said, I think he asked three times during a one hour meeting, um, you know, if we have nukes, why aren't we using them? Um, Putin released a statement uh, yesterday, you know, basically saying they want to build up their nuclear arsenal. And Trump released a tweet today uh, that parroted that rhetoric, um, you know, in, in, a, in a pretty clear way. And I don't think the timing of that is coincidental. Um, a lot of people afterwards have said, oh, it's the Cold War again. But, you know, I think this is actually the opposite of the Cold War because the Cold War is the United States, um, you know, versus the Soviet Union and mutually assured destruction was a deterrent against nuclear weapons being used. I think what we're more likely to see now uh, is Russia and the United States pairing up, um, you know, with Putin kind of guiding it and Trump as a, a fairly malleable figure uh, to possibly use nuclear weapons against other countries. And, you know, you know more about this than I do, um, you know, how that, whether that's possible, how it would be deployed. Uh, but it's hard for me to, to not be alarmed by that. Um, mm. You know, in addition, there's, you know, a lot of other things. There's the kleptocracy, which seems to be upheld in the cabinet appointments. There's white mob violence and the sanctioning of extremist groups like the KKK or neo-Nazis by both politicians and media. There's there's the total deference and cowardice of our elected officials, with a few exceptions, uh, to both Trump's extremism and to Russian interference, which has been well documented by our intelligence agencies. And, you know, there's also the economic problems that the United States has been struggling with, uh, you know, for the past eight years and that have never really been resolved and that kind of underlie a lot of our, our social and political problems. So, you know, there's there's a lot going on. But if I got to right. pick one, I'm, I'm going to go with the nukes. So I don't know about you. You have a way of standing out in one's mind. Mm. You reported on the election this year. Yes. Was there a point when you became very alarmed about Trump or were you alarmed about him from the oh, beginning? From the very beginning, from day one, you know, when he launched his campaign, um, you know, proclaiming that Mexicans were rapists and murderers and, you know, launched it in this very bigoted way. Um but then once he started getting into some of the economic rhetoric, um, the more populist rhetoric, you know, I became alarmed because I knew that that would resonate pretty well uh, where I live because, you know, it has been very frustrating. You know, I live in, in Missouri, for those who don't know, and uh, we never did recover from the recession here. And for eight years, we've heard over and over that, you know, unemployment is low and that things have been fixed. And meanwhile, you know, underemployment um, is extremely high. The cost of living went up a lot. Um, you know, average people lost their middle class jobs and began working low wage jobs that can't make payments. And Trump was saying a lot of things, um, you know, that that in a certain way, you know, they made sense. I mean, they certainly they even resonated with me emotionally. You know, I, of course, 
saw this as an act of manipulation. I saw him doing this and thought, oh God, you know, this is exactly the right button to push. Uh, and he's combining this with hate rhetoric, um, you know, with white supremacist rhetoric. And that got more and more elaborate as the campaign went on. He began incorporating, you know, anti-Semitism, um, extreme Islamophobia, uh, you know, all sorts of things, and then hiding it under this populism. Um, you know, I became further alarmed by the way it was being covered because Trump received wall-to-wall, -wall, fairly uncritical coverage by, you know, all major news outlets, especially cable news, um, you know, and then combined with that were all these right-wing conspiracy websites that were putting out their own narratives. And so, you know, a lot of people like to blame this fake news epidemic, but the people who like to blame fake mm -hmm. news the most are the mainstream outlets, which were really remiss uh, in covering Trump, both in promoting his extremist views and mainstreaming them, but also failing to investigate a lot of serious topics, um, you know, such as what's in his tax returns, his foreign relations, his relations with Russia, um, you know, and even his, his connection with um, white mob and, you know, white white nationalist movements in the U.S., that all got treated as kind of a joke uh, and not investigated thoroughly until he actually became the candidate. And then the reporting got um, a little bit better. But, you know, by then it, it was too late. Uh, and I, I think people really should have risen to the occasion earlier. You know, when someone launches their campaign um, by defaming an ethnic group and calling for extremist policies, like that's that's never a joke. Even if it's a reality TV show host doing yeah. this, like that that's never funny. It should never be treated lightly. Um, you know, he's a charismatic demagogue, and you know, if you have any sense of history, you know how far someone like that can go, even if they seem unlikely in the beginning. Right. And when you and I were talking before, you mentioned sort of since the election. Um, how these groups that are fringe, like the KKK or other white supremacist groups, are somehow being portrayed as more mainstream um, than they are. And given, I think you use the term like puff pieces or sort of, you know, oddly sympathetic coverage. I don't know, um, you know, what how you see that, why that might be happening um, and what effect that has. Yeah, I've been trying to figure out why that's happening because nothing has changed about the KKK. Um, you know, they're still the same hate group that they always were. Uh, yeah, they're getting totally different treatment. Um, and you see mainstream outlets, like, for example, the Associated Press tweeted that the KKK has disavowed white supremacy. That was what was in the tweet. You click on it and the article actually says the opposite, <laughs> that they haven't disavowed it at all, but that they're trying for a PR makeover. So you basically see the AP giving them the right. PR makeover in the tweet. And the same thing is true of all these, you know, white supremacist, um, you know, extremist groups and their leaders, which seem to have a pretty well orchestrated PR blitz. Like, it's one thing when people talk about Trump, you know, who obviously was famous beforehand and was running for president, and, you know, therefore merited coverage, or even someone like David Duke, um, who's been around for a long time and mm -hmm. is, you know, a figure of some interest. But I've seen, you know, countless puff pieces on, on Richard Spencer, uh, who is a white nationalist or white extremist, um, you know, with very vile views, including calling for ethnic cleansing. And they're talking about his fashion sense, his hair 
haircut, his education, his good manners. They're trying to present him um, as a you know a likable person, sometimes even an admirable person. They're not talking that much um, you know about what he believes, except to say like, oh, isn't it remarkable that this nice young man believes it? But it's like this is not a nice young man. This is a man you know calling for the extinction of certain groups for the suffering of many people. So why are you giving him coverage? Um, I don't think there's a demand issue here. I don't think that the majority of the U.S., including Trump fans, is really hungry uh, for a puff piece about this individual. Because uh, I, I just, you know, I've been at a lot of Trump rallies. They've interviewed a lot of Trump fans. I've seen a lot of racist hmm. sentiment expressed, but it's really not um, as extreme as, as the KKK or these neo-Nazi groups. And so I think what's happening is uh, an effort to mainstream that extremism and to try to bring those fans and to bring more white Americans into the fold um, and embrace this as normal. Whereas just five years ago, uh, these, these people would have been, I think, roundly denounced in the press and certainly not incorporated into a mainstream political platform like they have been with the Trump. Trump administration. You've, I think, been a voice of clarity for a lot of people on Twitter. Maybe it's weird to bring that up, but I don't know what that's been like for you um, since the election. The Trump campaign, unfortunately, in certain respects, seemed tailor-made to my interests. Um, you know, I cover authoritarian states. I live in an extremely uh, poor state, um, you know, in a like a city full of strife and murder and crime um, in the heart of America. I used to work at a New York tabloid. Um, I'm a pro wrestling and monster truck fan. Like, I, I don't know, you know, there's, there's a lot of like kind of odd qualifications that, you know, and, and I speak Russian and I, you know, uh, so when that entered the picture, people were really laughing, like, what the hell did they design wow. this election for you? And I'm like, unfortunately, and, you know, I'd much rather have it be an election where these, uh, these skills don't come into play, any of them. Um, but yeah, you know, a lot of people have come to me just for uh, sort of information, you know, wanting reading lists, for example, about authoritarian states, wanting to know how to organize. Um, you know, I was involved in the Ferguson protests, um, you know, so I have experience with protest and organization on the ground. And so there's just like a, a variety of reasons. Um, you know, I'm not really thinking about myself this much in this situation. Like, I, I'm very concerned about the direction the country is going. I think that everyone is going to be hurt. Um, you know, I live in a place where a lot of people did vote for Trump, and I'm worried that they're going to be hurt. Um, you know, that, you know, you already see people like the factory workers at Carrier um, in Indiana. Who, who, you know, backed him getting sold out. And so, you know, that's that's something kind of on a, a small scale level of pain that's going to be inflicted by this administration where the promises of jobs just won't come to fruition. But, you know, given the things you're just talking about, um, the prospect of nuclear war, the cabinet picks that seem really dedicated to, you know, forming a kleptocracy that will shake America down for its parts. Like, I'm just worried about this. Um, I also, you know, as a journalist think, Overall, the coverage is still uh, pretty bad. It's not thorough. Um, there are definitely some people doing a great job, you know, and I, I try to promote those people as much as I can, um, you know, share the information that they have. I'm glad that other specialists um, on authoritarian regimes uh, in Russia and other relevant topics have risen to the fore and lended their voices as well. Um, but overall, there's still this attitude of, you know, it can't happen here. Give them a chance. Just wait and see. And to me, this mm -hmm. is just, you know, ignoring 
ignoring an extremely loud ticking clock that you know feels like it's running in my head all the time as we approach inauguration day. Uh, and I keep hoping that there'll be more extensive investigation into certain things like um, you know Trump's backers mostly. There's been a lot of investigation of Trump to the extent that you can, but the people he associates himself with, I think, are you know what needs to be um, an object of focus for those who have the resources and, and money to do that kind of investigation. You know, people like Manafort and Bannon and Roger Stone. Uh, I'd like to see more of that. And so, you know, while it's I guess nice to have people <laughs> looking at what I'm doing, like I, I'd rather see other people, you know, doing the work, um, you know, sharing ideas, working together uh, as a collective. You know, I think it's been great that so many people have, um, you know, voiced their uh, dissent, you know, against this administration, which is not always an easy thing to do. You know, I've been happy to see people standing mm -hmm. up for other people, um, people, you know, looking out for their neighbors, looking out for vulnerable citizens and trying to see, find ways to help them. Uh, I hope that that kind of conversation continues, you know, because we'll definitely need um, that forward looking spirit in the in the months to come. Real talk with Dr. Sarah Kenzier. That was pretty heavy. Um, she really is a, a wonder at kind of crystallizing all of these things, all of our worst fears, really. Right. It's what I find interesting about um, the state of our lovely country right now is that a lot of different people have different roles that they are playing. And Sarah's playing a very important one um, in informing people and trying to, you know, kind of wake up people that don't really understand what an authoritarian government does and can do and why this looks like one. Um, but then on the other hand, we do have lawmakers that are trying to counter Trump already. Like who? Well, like <laughs> funny you should <laughs> ask. What lawmakers? What lawmakers? What law particularly? What Is there one specifically so. that... <laughs> Well, there are a number of them. I have been looking high and low, and one of the, the ones who I found who's being very outspoken is a Congressman Eric Swalwell from uh, California. He covers the areas of the East Bay in the Bay Area, and with uh, Congressman Elijah Cummings from Maryland, he is he has co-authored a bill that they, sub that they I guess, introduced on December 7th uh, to investigate Russian interference in our election, and it is called the Protect Our Democracy Act. He's a knowledgeable guy, and he has been appearing on some different news shows to talk about this bill, uh, which I'm very interested in hearing more about. So we're going to go, we're going to go to an interview with Congressman Swalwell. Uh, Congressman Swalwell, welcome to the 451. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Summer. Thanks for having me on. First time. So you have introduced this new bill, the Protecting Our Democracy Act. Uh, tell me about the impetus for this bill. Sure. You know, our democracy was attacked uh, back uh, during the presidential campaign. And it wasn't the dropping of a bomb. It wasn't the firing of a shot. It was actually uh, electronic and invisible. And all the evidence suggests it came from uh, a foreign adversary. And so uh, my goal is in a bipartisan way to get to the bottom of this and uh, have Republicans and Democrats work together to find out who was responsible. Looks like uh, it was Russia from the early evidence. Also uh, to identify why we were so vulnerable and then most importantly make recommendations to make sure that uh, this never happens again. And this act is to establish the National Commission on Foreign Interference in the 2016 election. That's right. What can you tell me about that commission? There's going to be 12 outside experts in foreign policy, national security, and elections uh, appointed by Congress in a bipartisan way, so six Republicans, six Democrats, mm -hmm. to take a, a real deep dive look at this 
and uh, once and for all sign off on what happened and what we will do to make sure it never happens again. And uh, how is the bill being received so far? Well, you know, right now uh, we're on a congressional recess, but I that doesn't stop me from reaching out to Republicans and doing everything I can to try and find uh, Republican support because I, I think it's very important that this is uh, bipartisan. Uh, you know, it may have been that Democrats were the victims of the hack uh, this time, but if history has its way, I'm confident that uh, next time it could be a different party. And I hope that the constant is is that both parties are always vigilant and always uh, declaring that we'll never tolerate uh, something like this. So I, I've spoken uh, to Speaker Ryan uh, and also mm -hmm. intelligence community members, and you know I'm going to continue that work uh, over the next few weeks before we get back and hope that I have a Republican co-sponsor as we enter the 115th Congress on January 3rd. And do you have, are there any um, Republican House members that have been receptive so far? I don't know if you can name them. If, if... Yeah, I would say that they've been receptive. Uh, and okay. I think right now, uh, and I'll take them at their word that their concern is, you know, what's the best way to go about this? You know, some of them have said to me, well, we already have a congressional investigation going on. Isn't that enough? And I, I don't think it's enough. And I, I think, you know, again, when, when the president-elect calling into question what the intelligence agencies are saying, I think we need to take the politics out of it. And having an independent commission, as we've done in the past when our country has uh, had, you know, other challenges, uh, that's always been the best way, I think, for the American people to feel like, uh, you know, this was really truly looked at with politics removed. And most importantly, that America's leaders now are on notice as to what we can do to make sure it doesn't happen again. Right. And this is different from what uh, Senators McCain and, and Graham are proposing, uh, because this is an independent commission. Right. You know, a number of senators, uh, Republicans and Democrats, have called for, uh, you know, congressional investigations, which I, I think is fine. Mm -hmm. um, again, there's, you know, a number of ways to go at this uh, and a number of different, I think, interests uh, that are going to have questions. But, you know, on the Senate side, Senators Feinstein and Cardin have also asked for an independent uh, commission. So we have both uh, chambers now okay. uh, having members ask for this. And so uh, I hope that uh, we'll find movement. And I think the American people, uh, again, they, they don't want this to be political and it shouldn't. Is there anything that regular citizens can do to help support this bill? Well, you know, right now we're, we're talking about this on the hashtag protect our democracy, because I really think this is about, you know, the, the bedrock of our democracy and whether or not it's secure from outside interference. No other issue matters uh, as far as uh, who we are and uh, what challenges we have if our elections are going to be undermined uh, by outside countries. And so I think keeping the conversation going is important, but also, uh, you know, contact your legislators and ask them, you know, if they support an independent commission. I think that's another way to show that uh, this is something that, again, Republicans, independents, Democrats all care about. So listeners in Ohio, Florida, anywhere, they should call up their representatives and, and see if they're tweet supporting them. Okay, yeah. tweet at them. Snap them, <laughs> snap them, tweet at them, yeah. Instagram, okay. uh, tag, Facebook, Facebook tag. posts. Okay, yeah. okay. So that's a good, that's a good um, encouragement. And so the next step is going to be in January. That's the next stage for this bill. So the new Congress convenes January 3rd. And, you know, we plan to introduce uh, the same bill that we introduced uh, the last Congress. And we introduced it last Congress because we didn't want the session to close without uh, putting outside uh, interferers on notice that this is something we're not going to just look the other way on and that, you know, there is uh, interest in getting to the bottom of it and securing our democracy. So that, that'll be introduced again uh, coming up. And again, it's my hope that uh, we'll have Republicans on the other side uh, to say that this is 
you know, a national interest, not uh, something that the party should be put ahead of. Okay. And this is for an 18-month long um, independent commission? Up to 18 months. Up to 18 yeah, months. You know, the sooner is always the better. But, you know, sometimes, you know, getting into uh, the evidence and, uh, you know, making sure that uh, people, you know, have the appropriate clearances and then writing a public report with recommendations, you know, we, we don't want them to rush it. But we want it as quickly as possible and certainly before the next election. Right. And, and I don't know... Um, I know I should let you get going soon. You have a lot of interviews going on right now because of this. I'm curious your thoughts on um, the president-elect's response to to these allegations and whether you yeah. think there's a relation between that and his uh, refusal to take the, yeah. the briefings. It's, it's disturbing. Offered. You know, the, I've met with, uh, you know, employees from every one of our intelligence agencies, and they toil away in a very nonpartisan uh, fashion. They really just play it down the middle and it's insulting to the work that they do uh, to suggest that you know the results uh, of their findings are political you know if, if the president-elect disagrees with the evidence that's fair I mean I, that's a you know conversation uh, he should have uh, with the agencies or mm -hmm. something that he can you know certainly air publicly uh, but to just disavow it and provide no evidence that he even took a briefing on it or that he you know has facts that counter what their findings were, you know, that I, I'm afraid uh, only undermines our intelligence community. And uh, it, it's a reckless way of going about uh, being a commander in chief. Right. Well, I hope that um, we can see positive things for this bill coming in the new year. Um, Congressman, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Yeah. Thank you, Summer. And I uh, look forward to being back on. Happy holidays. Thanks so much. You have a great day. So that was Congressman Eric Swalwell. Um, I will be very curious to see what happens with that bill in the coming weeks. Yes. We will be watching very closely. Um, so we, uh, we've we been really, I mean, I don't want to speak for all of us, but I think we've all been pretty pretty uh, blown away by the response to this podcast. We really appreciate everybody listening. It happened really fast. A lot of people downloaded it and followed her on Twitter and it's great. I also appreciate this. Thank you. We <laughs> No, I, I do. No. We um one thing you could help us with to to get the word out and I'm sure you've heard other podcasts say this is leave us a review on iTunes. We've we've gotten some great uh feedback on our email uh which is 451 all spelled out at protonmail.com. And, and that is encrypted in case you are somebody concerned about that right now. So Indeed. it's a good encrypted email. And we've gotten some great phone calls, which uh, I will play some of at the very end of this episode. So stay tuned to listen to uh, the phone calls of people just talking about what they're hopeful about uh, and what they're doing to resist. And if you want to leave uh, us a message, you can do so at 510-402-6081. You can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, the show's Twitter is at the underscore numbers 451, just the numbers. And uh, Summer, what's your Twitter? Account? I'm at Summer Brennan, Summer Like the Season, B-R-E-N-N-A-N. And Jesse? <sighs> I'm uh, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm Jesse, J-E-S-S-E underscore Hirsch, H-I-R-S-C-H. I guess it's just like, it's just the idea of being like, follow me on Twitter. You know, when we're talking about like, the end of the world. Right, right, right. It's not, 
we're uh, yeah. falling into an authoritarian state. But you know, follow us on Twitter. It's fine. Hashtag yeah. send me cute memes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I am Songaday Man. That's all. Uh, Songaday, all one word. M A N N. So we're talking about hope a lot this week because we, it's things look kind of dark. It seems for a lot of people um, because we're not sure what the obvious avenues are out of this. Um, but like I tried to say earlier, for me, it's just trying. It's about getting into a gear that can help you see more clearly um, what people are doing around you. That's positive. It's it's what helps. It is what helps get people get through rough times. Without it, you sink into the mud like the horse in the Neverending Story. So, oh man, don't do that. Oh, That's man. the worst. <laughs> Are we gonna go out on that? No, we're not. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um. Uh, anyway, we got hope. We got hope. We got hope. We do. And I'm not. I'm. I mean, I get a lot of flack for this, but I'm. I'm sincere in in my in my hope and my faith in in people. The people of the United States of America that we can come together and either stop or mitigate what is coming. So. And that includes you and me and us and all of you listening. So, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Okay. You're not alone. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. everyone, it's summer again. So I wanted to give you a little more information about uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren's bill. It has not been introduced yet. She will be introducing it in January along with Senator Ben Cardin of Maryland, uh, Senator Chris Coons of Delaware, Senator Dick Durbin of Illinois, and Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon. Um, And in her own words, it is a bill to implement the Emoluments Clause. I also wanted to add that we mentioned a story about the Trump team requesting the names of individuals working on gender equality in the State Department. And there's an interesting story on that from NPR, which I will link in our show notes. This has been The 451, a podcast for the resistance. Adam calling in from Connecticut. Uh, one of the things that, that makes me really hopeful uh, about this period that we find ourselves in is that the election and its aftermath seems to have really turned a light bulb on for a lot of people, um, as each of you described in, in episode one of the 451. And we may not know kind of what to do with that. We may not know um, where to go from here, but uh, but we're listening and we're watching and we're learning. And, uh, and, and we're, we're showing up maybe not yet in the ways that we, we want to or that we aspire to, but we're, we're preparing for that. In my experience, when, when a light bulb goes off like this and we get a better sense of our surroundings, whether it's, you know, a, a greater awareness of ourselves or of our country or of our fellow Americans, uh, it's really hard to go back to the way things were before, before that light bulb went off. Uh, and, and that's, I think, a, a powerful thing and not something to be feared because we have, we have more information and a greater awareness than we did before. So that gives me hope. That's what, that's what I'm really looking to, uh, to focus in on in the weeks and months to come. Um, so thanks for doing what you do and resist.